I wonder this morning here, uh, how many of you have had the opportunity to get to know your grandparents really well? Uh, you know, I know that in our culture today, and uh, you know, a lot of people move around quite a bit, and we live in a big city like Chicago, in a church like St. Paul's. I know that some of you have uh, lived close to your family members. You've lived close to your relatives for a large portion of your life. But for others of us, that has not been the case. And so distance can make it difficult to get to know your grandparents really well. Also, when I think about getting to know grandparents well, you know, you think about how they might, might have passed away before you really had a, get, a chance to get to know them. And then there is just strained relationships that happen at times in families, and sometimes that causes a distance that is out of your control as a child. And so when I think about my childhood, and I think about the time that I got to spend uh, with my grandparents, I'm so thankful for the role that they played in my life. And I, I think at the same time, I mean, it's kind of an unusual blessing from the Lord that he gave to me. Growing up, uh, my family lived about 20 minutes from my mom's parents. Um, my grandma and grandpa Shepherd, uh, they, they, they lived about 20 minutes away, and, and we would get to see them about once a week. We would go to church uh, in the town that they uh, lived in, and, and after church on Sunday mornings, we would go in the afternoon and we would spend uh, time with my grandma and grandpa Shepherd. My, my dad's parents, on the other hand, they lived even closer than that. I mean, they lived right across the street from us, and so we would see them pretty often. In fact, for those of you who don't know this already about me, I grew up on a dairy cow farm in Ohio, and my grandpa Kreider would come to the farm and work every day. We worked together. We worked alongside each other all the time. And so because of that, we saw each other a lot. We got to work together a lot, and... And we became really, really close. I, I became really close with my grandpa, Kreider. He was a strong, caring, godly man. We had great times talking together, playing together, working together. He was my hero. I wanted to grow up and be just like him. Well, I remember it just like it was yesterday, that fateful day. Uh, my grandpa had been experiencing quite a bit of pain, but he, was never, he never talked about it. He never complained about the discomfort that he was experiencing until he was out in the barn this particular day, and then he literally collapsed on the barn floor because uh, the pain was just so unbearable. My dad, uh, who would not go to the hospital for anything, he was standing close by, and immediately he runs to the house, grabs the phone, and calls 911. This is before cell phones, and so... The ambulance, they come, and uh, my, they take my grandpa to the emergency room. They run some tests. A short period of time later, we get this very difficult news. He has stage 4 prostate cancer. It's not news that anyone wants to hear, right? The doctor that day uh, says to my grandpa and to our family, he's got less than six months to live. Miraculously, he actually ended up living another six years. And, uh, you know, you think about if you've ever been around somebody who has had a debilitating disease like cancer, you know just how challenging everyday life can be. Uh, Grandpa would go through these treatments, radiation and chemo. And I remember he lived right across the street and he was able to live there for quite some time even after his diagnosis. 
And I remember getting to go over and to visit him. My grandpa, he loved to garden. And so when I would go over, I, I, we would go out in the garden and we would garden together. But then there came a day when gardening was just too much for him to do. He, he couldn't uh, make it over to the farm to work every day. And so he would go and he would sit out on his front porch. And, and he had this swing on his front porch and he would just sit there and kind of watch uh, life going by. And I would go over and I would sit there with him and he would uh, have a, a glass of lemonade and he would give me some as well. And we would sit there and we would talk about life together. There came a point though where as time passed on, there came a point where he was so worn down where he couldn't even get out of his house. In fact, even sitting up in the chair in the living room was so much effort and so much work, it caused these tears because of the pain to run down his face. There came a time where even picking up a cup to drink some water was so difficult that he would be shaking. He didn't have the strength to even get it up to his mouth. And even the difficulty of swallowing became very real. How do you survive something like that? I mean, technically, my grandpa didn't survive that. I was in seventh grade when he passed away. But how do you endure something like that? I mean, how do you travel through something like that with grace? How do you travel through something like that with patience? Uh, what I want to know is how do you travel with something, through something like that with faithfulness in life? Something that is uninvited, something that you didn't choose, something that is long and hard, something that does not have a happy ending this side of heaven. How do you remain faithful in seasons like that? It's that question that kind of draws me to this character in the Bible named Jeremiah. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app but I want to invite you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now Jeremiah lives 600 years before the time of Jesus. And, and I just want to introduce him simply by reading to you the opening three uh, very uninteresting verses of Jeremiah. As we read these, you will probably be very underwhelmed. But Jeremiah chapter 1 Beginning in verse 1 and down through verse 3, here's what we read. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, and until the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the ca captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, if you're in kind of a Bible reading plan and you're reading through the Bible, you get to Jeremiah chapter 1, you might, you might see and skim over some of these difficult to pronounce names and, and you just kind of skip right over them and you say, well, when are we going to get to the good stuff here? But in these three verses, we are told some things. And I mean, right out of the gate, there is this attempt to anchor Jeremiah as a real person in real space and in real time. It's not like, hey, once upon a time, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. 
No, we are told his dad's name. We're told his dad's occupation. We're told his hometown. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. There is an attempt to really try to show you in kind of a three-dimensional type of way who this guy is and where he's from. Anathoth was like three miles northeast of Jerusalem. It would take like an hour's walk to get to Jerusalem. If you were at Jeremiah's house and you left his house and you walked to the capital city, it would take you about an hour to get there. His dad belonged to the priesthood, and his dad, his name was Hilkiah. Uh, But then we get to these next verses that give us a little bit of a snippet, um, which I think kind of shows us the the challenging uh, times of entering into difficult seasons of life, seasons that maybe we didn't ask for, that are really, really long, and that are not necessarily going to end very well. And so in verse 2, we read about Jeremiah, and it says, To whom the word of the Lord came. Now, Jeremiah is called to be a prophet. And the deal with being a prophet is that God speaks to you, and then you speak to the people. It's not a job that you apply for. It's not an occupation that you select. You don't become a prophet by going to a guidance counselor and taking a personality profile and then going and uh, applying for this job to be a prophet. No, instead it's like God starts speaking to you. And, And so when it says the word of the Lord came to him, you just need to know that this is not a job that Jeremiah applied for. And pretty soon we're going to find out that this is not a job that he really wanted anything to do with either. And so it says here, to whom the word of the Lord came. And then the next phrase there is, in the day, days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now, if we're to do the math here, this is about a 40-year period of time. That God gives Jeremiah these visions and he speaks to the people off and on for a period of four decades, which is a pretty long period of time, right? I mean, if we were to line this up as kind of the time frame of our own history in America today, and we were to think about this, we would have to go all the way back to 1980, right? 1980. I was like two years old at the time. Uh, many, some of you here in this room weren't even born in 1980. The president back then was President Jimmy Carter. And then there was Ronald Reagan. And then there was President Bush Sr., President Clinton, President, the other President Bush, uh, President Obama, President Trump. And that's kind of what they're trying to do here by talking about all of these kings. That, that they're trying to say this was a long period of time. 40 years, 40 years of administrations that Jeremiah is prophesying to. But as Jeremiah is prophesying, the question here is, are the people going to listen? And the answer is, well, really not, not so much. I mean, is, is he going to be ignored? Well, most of the time he's going to be ignored. Because Jeremiah's responsibility is to say to the people, hey, we have wandered so far away from the Lord. We have messed up. Don't think that the blessing of God is going to continue to remain upon us in life. 
And the people are going to say, well, yeah, 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 thanks, Jeremiah, but really no thanks. And so at the end of verse 3, it should come as no surprise then that it talks about the captivity of Jerusalem. Right out of the gate, the reader is told that this is not going to have a very happy ending. And when it talks about the captivity of Jerusalem, it's talking about how the people of Israel are going to be taken off into exile in 586 B.C. That the Babylonian Empire and the Babylonian army is going to swoop down from the north under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar. They are going to level Jerusalem to the ground. They are going to burn it. They are going to grab all the people who have survived and they are going to take them off to another place to live. Jeremiah is given a job that he does not want. It's going to last for a really, really long time. And it's not going to end very well. And that's important for us to know here at the beginning of our journey here together. Because I think uh, looking at his story and his journey informs our seasons of life that can be these really ugly spaces for us. And it's not the kind of challenge that just comes and then goes away. But it's the kind of challenge that comes and then stays for a really, really long period of time. And there's a difference Because some of the challenges that we experience in the grand story of our lives is just kind of like a speed bump along the way. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The the junior in college decides to switch majors. And so now you might have to retake a few classes along the way. Maybe graduation gets pushed back another six months. At the time, it feels like a very traumatic event in your life. It it, it feels like this big weight, this big burden. But as you look back decades after this, decades have passed and it kind of feels like just a little speed bump along the way. It might feel devastating to break up with somebody that you've gone out with for two months. But in the grand scheme of things, that's probably more like a speed bump in life. You go through a, a difficulty Something challenging happens with a job transition and it is hard and it is challenging, but you get through it and you move on. Friends, when my grandpa was diagnosed with stage four cancer, it was not a speed bump in life. When a couple hears those two words, developmental disability, they live with that forever. Whatever they thought was going to be normal as far as this new baby boy or this new baby girl, this challenge is going to last for a long, long time. The person who has had a spouse walk out on them and leave them with a couple of small kids. They're not going to wake up just a couple of weeks after that and say, well, everything's better now. It's just not the way it is. It's not one of those speed bump type of things. It is long. It is challenging And it is uninviting. It's the guy who at age 60 experiences this catastrophic financial reversal. And he says, you know what? If this would have happened when I was 30 or if this would have happened when I was 40, I feel like I would have had some years to kind of correct this. But I'm I'm 60 now and how am I going to? I don't have enough years to turn this thing around now. And suddenly there is this jolting event that is uninvited. It is long. It is deeply, deeply challenging. 
And this is what Jeremiah is going to experience. It's a privilege for us to, to be able to step into his life and to learn everything that we can about how God met him in this place and how God might meet us as we enter into one of these places as well. Now, I know that some of you are here today, and as we go through this study together, maybe you say, listen, Jason, I mean, uh, things are going pretty good in my life right now. I mean, everything in my life is like a picture of good health. Everything in my life is like, uh, my job is like the gold standard of job security. Uh, we, we have money that we've set aside. We're doing well. That may be true. That, that this idea of feeling like you're just at a point of maybe wanting to give, give up, it seems far away from some of you. But, but do you know that there are people in your life who are going through this right now? People that you work with, your neighbors, your relatives, old friends that you have. And I hope that as we go through this study together, that, that we would have a sensitized heart towards what other people uh, might be going through and through the ugly spaces that they might be experiencing right now. That, that as we talk to them and as we, that, that we would be able to listen that we would be helped to know what to say, that we would be helped to know how to serve someone who is going through a very challenging time in life right now. And so for our time today, what we want to do is we want to look at parts of Jeremiah chapter 1, the first chapter. And today's teaching, we are going to look at four different parts. And part number one just has to do with Jeremiah's calling. Jeremiah's calling. The day that Jeremiah heard the voice. One day, Jeremiah was just kind of going about his business, and there was this voice. There was a strong voice. There was a powerful voice. And you could see it there in verse 5. And this voice uh, from the Lord says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before you even exited the birth canal, I had my eye on you, Jeremiah. I knew you. I set you apart. I, I appointed you. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You know, that word knew is, uh, is a word that means to have an intimate knowledge of someone. It's not like I know Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, that I know about him. And it's not like I know Will and Jada Pinkett Smith, that I can identify them in a picture of some sort. No, this means someone that I deeply know, that I know uh, 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 quite a number of things about. And Jeremiah, God says, Jeremiah, before I even fully formed you, uh, before you were even born, I knew you. And before you were born, I, I set you apart. Before you were born, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That day, that voice would radically change Jeremiah's life. You know, I, I was reading through these verses and rereading these verses this week. And for some reason, I started to think about all the people in my life. People even here at this church who have recently had babies or maybe are pregnant right now and are going to have a baby. And I just want you to hear this. That child that you are carrying is very precious to God. Just those words. Before I fully formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were even born, I consecrated you. 
This is talking about God's knowledge of and his affection for Jeremiah. He has a mission for Jeremiah before Jeremiah is even born. For those of you who um, maybe just recently had babies or maybe you're expecting a baby, I just want you to know that that baby is very precious to you, most likely. But that baby is also very, very precious to God. Which I think is an incredible thought to think about. Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart before you were born. I made you a prophet to the nations. Now, if you're Jeremiah, I don't think that all of these words here from the Lord are good news to you. You know, we, we have a picture here this morning that we're going to put up on the screen of a, a group of people. And there's kind of one person who, who just kind of stands out here in this picture. And God says, you know what, I, I've, I've set you apart. And when he says that, I imagine Jeremiah thinking, well, you know what, I really don't like being set apart. I, I'd rather just kind of blend in with everybody else. I mean, you, you've set me apart? Well, does that mean that it's going to look like this? Yes. I mean, there's everyone else, and then there's you, because I've appointed you, and I want you to speak to them. But, but you know what? Some of them might not want to really listen to me. Well, trust me, Jeremiah, uh, there's, there's plenty of people who aren't going to want to listen to you. And Jeremiah, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very angry at you. And I imagine Jeremiah saying, well, you know what? I'd rather not really have this job. I don't want this. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. And so now we move from Jeremiah's call to the second part, which is Jeremiah's inadequacy. Jeremiah's inadequacy. Jeremiah's uh, voice uh, voices this right out of the gate. And in verse 6, he says, it it says this, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Now he has two objections here. And number one, he says, you know what, I'm not a very gifted public communicator. And then number two, I'm only a youth. Now, I I, I don't know this for sure, but Jeremiah, I imagine him to be something like 18, 19, 20 years old. And I mean, he says, I'm too young. And when he uses this term youth, what he means here is I I haven't yet been established uh, fully as an adult yet. I, I don't have all of the full adult responsibilities and challenges in life. I would, I would think of it this way in our day. Uh, maybe you think of a, a college sophomore. I mean, technically, they are an adult, but they're not an adult in the sense that they have their own place and they have their own career and they're, they're being married. They've, they've gotten married and all of that and those types of things. But Jeremiah's like, listen, you know what? Um, first of all, when, when someone needs a public speaker, they don't come calling on me. I'm not the type of person who just stands up in front of people and speaks. And then secondly, I'm just far too young. God, what are you thinking anyway? This cannot be a job for me. I'm not ready to do this. There's something that I want you to notice here. Number one, that he is speaking back to God. Now, he's not talking back to God. He's speaking back to God. Do you know that you can do that, right? You're thrown into a situation and you're thinking... Man, I'm not ready for this. I am not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. Instead of just thinking about that, voice that back to God. I mean, there are times where we just need to fall on our knees, on our faces before the Lord and say, God, 
I, I don't know why I've been given this assignment. This is not an assignment that I wanted. This is not an assignment that I selected. I'm not ready for this. And this isn't the only time that Jeremiah is going to voice this in this story. There are several different times where he is going to get an assignment. He faithfully fulfills that assignment. And then he turns around and he says, what was that all about? I mean, why, why are you telling me to do this? It is this open, honest dialogue with the creator. Listen, I think that we can learn from that. That it's okay to have this conversation with the Lord where we say, you know what? God, I'm overwhelmed and I'm not ready for this. And that's where Jeremiah is here. He says, you know what? I've got a problem with this. I'm not ready And he says, number one, I'm not the public speaking type. I'm not very eloquent. I'm not a skilled communicator. But number two, you know what? I'm just way too young. I'm not ready for this. I wonder how many of us uh, had a day where we got thrown into a new challenge and we just said, you know what? I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to be a widow. I'm not ready for cancer treatments. Maybe you exited from that HR office and you had been encouraged to retire early and you said, you know what, I'm not ready to go out job hunting at age 59. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to raise these children alone. You know, this is where Jeremiah's story begins, that he is recruited by God for this task. And he says, you know what, I think you've got the wrong guy, God, because I'm not ready for this. And so we have Jeremiah's call, we have Jeremiah's inadequacy, and then we now see Jeremiah's strength. Verse 7, you know, I love what God says here. It says, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. Now, it's like God looks at Jeremiah and he says, you know that thing about you say you're too young? Well, just don't say that anymore, okay? And if I'm Jeremiah, I'm like, okay, thanks. So what is my job description anyway? What are the responsibilities that I'm going to have? Again, there in verse 7, God says, For all to whom I send you, you shall go, and wherever I command you, you shall speak. And uh, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I mean, this is not very specific here. God just says, I want you to go where I tell you to go. And I'm going to just have you speak some things, but I'm going to just tell you to say what it is that I tell you to say. I mean, I just need you to be faithful. I'm going to tell you to go some places. I'm going to have you say some things. And I just need you to say yes every single time. Go to the people that I send you to. Tell them the message that I give you to tell them. You know, I, I read this and I think, wow, I mean, if I'm Jeremiah, I am scared out of my mind about this. And this fear is not irrational. I mean, Jeremiah's friends are going to turn on him. Jeremiah's family is going to disown him. At one point, he is going to be beaten up. He is going to be placed in these stocks in a public square for the night. Later on in his ministry, there's going to come a time where they are going to tie him up. And they are going to suspend him in some slime. And that's how they imprison him. And there are going to be people who are going to plot against him. They are going to want to kill him. And Jeremiah is scared and his fears are not illogical. They are not just made up here. 
bad things are going to happen to this man. And it's at this point that God then speaks these words to Jeremiah. Verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know what? They're they're not going to be able to kill you until it's your time to die. And, And I will rescue you out of all of these various dangers. Do not be afraid of them. I will be with you. Don't be afraid of them. I will be with you. I want to come back to that at the end of our time here this morning. But uh, just see over and over and over again in the scriptures, these two things are closely linked together. Fear and the powerful presence of God in our lives. And several times in the scriptures, people are told, do not be paralyzed by fear. And then that's followed up with, because God is going to be with you. And it's the knowledge of the presence of God in our lives walking with us that can rescue us from being scared to death. Make no mistake about it. Fear is a thief. Fear about tomorrow, about next week, or about next month or next year can steal your joy today. Fear about tomorrow can steal your peace today. Fear. Paralyzing fear will keep you from performing uh, those most important tasks in the most strategic relationships. Fear can cripple you. Right out of the gate, uh, Jeremiah, Mr. I'm too young, Mr. I I can't speak, is told, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. It is the powerful presence of God that removes this crippling fear from our lives. We're going to come back to that as we close our time today. But now we want to move from Jeremiah's strength to Jeremiah's message. He's just been recruited to be this prophet. In verse 9 through the end of chapter 1, we we see that not only is he going to hear from God, but now he's also going to see some things from God. And and what happens next in chapter 1 is like there's this vision test that Jeremiah is given. God says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, well, I I see this almond tree. And God says, that's right. That's an almond tree. And I promise that whatever I say, whatever I predict will come true. It will happen. It will be fulfilled. Now, if you've never seen an almond tree before, we have some branches from an almond tree that we're going to put up on the screen here this morning. But I I want you to just think about this. I mean, what's the real big deal about an almond tree anyway? This is an almond tree in bloom, and an almond tree was the first tree to bloom and to blossom in Israel. It could be January, and this tree, uh, all the other trees would be dormant, but this tree would bloom. The almond tree was one of those kinds of trees that kind of announced that spring is coming. You would see this thing start budding, and you would say, spring is on its way. Now, in my yard, I don't have an almond tree, but in my front yard, we have these crocuses. And, uh, you know, none of the trees in the neighborhood will be budding uh, uh, and have buds on them. And maybe the winter will be just dragging on and on and on. But the crocuses will even pop up out of the snow. And when you start to see the crocuses coming up, you start saying to yourself, you know what? Spring is on its way. I think what's happening here with this almond tree is that this is a reference that God is basically saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, your voice is like an almond tree 
where I am predicting that judgment is on its way. You are a sign to the people that this judgment from me is going to be coming. A couple of verses later, it happens again, and God says, Jeremiah, well, what is it that you see this time? And this time, Jeremiah says, well, I see a pot. I I, I see a pot, and it's uh, sitting over a fire. And this pot is boiling over, and it's boiling, it's uh, facing away from the north, and it's boiling towards the south. And God says, Jeremiah, you've seen correctly, because judgment is going to come from the north. The Babylonian army is going to swoop in and they are going to attack from the north and they are going to boil over in the direction of Israel. Verse 16 of chapter 1, God says, And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their hands. You know, in the days of Jeremiah, he predicts this judgment for two reasons. It talks about this in the prophecies of Jeremiah here in our Bibles. One recurring reason for why judgment is going to come is because of the nation's repeated uh, taking advantage of the weak, uh, of refusing to protect the weak. In the days leading up to Jeremiah, uh, there was a king named Manasseh. And we're told that during the reign of Manasseh, which happened over a period of 55 years, it says that the blood of innocent people flowed from one end of the city to the other. And when the Bible talks about the weak, there are two specific examples that are given of the widows and the orphans. If you're a a child and you've lost your parents and you you don't have a group of people to protect you, someone can just swoop in and confiscate your property because you don't have any way of protecting yourself. If you're a woman and you've lost your husband and you don't have brothers or you don't have a living father to protect you, people can just swoop in and just take your property away from you, take advantage of you. It was preying on those who had very little opportunity to defend themselves There's something about the heart of God that is deeply, deeply moved uh, for people who are defenseless. And so after these people, these weak people, have they've been uh, preyed on for decade upon decade upon decade. And God now says, you know what? I've had enough. You better repent. You better turn to me right away because if this continues, judgment is going to come on this land. But the reality is is that they didn't repent. The reality is they did not return to the Lord. And the reality is is that judgment is coming upon them. The second thing that is repeated over and over again in the pages of the scriptures is this idea of idolatry. Now, this is not the same thing as adultery. That adultery is being married to someone and then sleeping around with someone else who's not uh, your spouse. That's adultery. But idolatry is idol worship. It is worshiping something else in the place of God. Some of you know that the first of the Ten Commandments goes like this. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't carve some kind of calf or cow and call that me. Don't fashion some goat out of stone and start bowing down and worshiping that and calling that me. I am the invisible, unified creator God. 
and you shall not bow down and worship anything or anyone else. And this is like commandment number one. But if you're to go through all of the Ten Commandments, you'll see that the Ten Commandments are given to us to know how to relate to God and how to relate to the other people around us. Well, what I think is very interesting is how Israel is like in the center of several caravan routes of their day. You know, I think that God designed that for a reason. For, uh, he did that on purpose. Because not only does God love Israel, but also God loves the world and he wants people to see him and experience him because they've come in contact with his people, Israel. And so there are these caravan routes and um, there are routes that go south from Babylon and there are other routes that go north from Egypt and they pass right through Israel. Israel's right there in the middle. And I think what God's desire is, is that for his people, Israel, that, that, that as people walk through their land, that they would say, wow. I mean, it's amazing how the weak are protected in this land. Or it's amazing how they worship this invisible God rather than the idols of the nations around them. And when we go to sleep here, when we, when we are tired, that we can find rest. And we don't have to be afraid of being killed or being robbed. This is a very unusual country. This is a very unusual place. And I believe that God's idea was that his people, the Israelites, would um, uh, point towards his goodness and his greatness. That they would point towards the invisible creator God because of their behavior. But when you get to the days of Jeremiah... The Israelites have be, become just like everyone else around them. They're just like everyone else in the fact that they trample upon the weak. They're just like everyone else in the fact that they worship these other idols. And God's like, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I, I've given you warnings. I have warned you now for generation upon generation upon generation. And now I'm done warning. Judgment is coming. And they would be taken off into exile in 586 B.C. That's Jeremiah's message. As we kind of explore this book together uh, over the next several weeks, there are a few things that, that we're going to see uh, coming up over and over again. And I think that it's going to give us uh, time to talk about some of the modern day idols that we have today. Because it's true, you know, our hearts are like idol factories. That we are constantly on the lookout for something or someone to replace God in our lives. Uh, to be the ultimate source of security, the ultimate source of safety for us. It, it can be maybe a savings account. Uh, maybe it could be our stuff. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it, it's a child. Or you say, you know what? I, I want this thing to be my God. I, I want you to be my ultimate source of safety and security in life. And, and so something that we're going to do here as we look at these messages that Jeremiah gave to the people is that we're going to uncover some of the substitute idols in our own lives, some of the counterfeit idols in our own lives that will guarantee to disappoint us. They will guarantee to let us down. And so we're going to talk about some of these things over the next several weeks together. But as we close our time together here this morning, I just want to kind of circle back to this thing about fear. I'm scared. I'm scared about tomorrow. I'm scared about next week. 
scared about next month. And you know what? Fear can be so paralyzing. In the Bible, again and again, it says, do not be afraid because the powerful presence of God is walking right alongside you, walking with you. We saw this in verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 1 where it just said, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know, when I read that verse, I also think about another character in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Joshua. That, that the people of Israel had been led by Moses, and Moses gets to this point where he dies, and they're about to enter into the promised land. And it's at this point that, that Jeremiah, or Joshua rather, is given the responsibility to lead the people, and he is scared out of his mind. In Joshua chapter 1, right at the very beginning, chapter 1 and verse 9, we hear these words from God to Joshua. And he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, these two components come together. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the New Testament, after the time of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 through 6, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. God says, I, I, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And because of that, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I refuse to be paralyzed by fear because he is with me every step of the way. We want to leave these last verses, Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. We want to leave them up on the screen for just a moment here. And this morning, I just want to invite you to read these verses along with me out loud together. We're going to read them through just a couple of times here, and then I'll pray as we close our time together. But I want you to join me in reading this together. It says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? One more time. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, one of my desires for you as you kind of move and step out into this week is that you will be delivered from this crippling fear, this paralyzing anxiety. And that you will know and you will have a confidence that God is always with you. That he is accompanying you through the difficult journey of life. And I hope that you can come to the point where you can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Let's pray.